0: Hey there, I'm Kyle Trigstad, politics editor for Bloomberg Government. And I'm Greg Giroux, senior elections reporter for Bloomberg Government. Check out our podcast, Down Ballot Counts. Each week, Greg and I will be breaking down all of those down-ballot elections that make up the fight for the US Congress. Listen and subscribe to Down Ballot Counts from Bloomberg Government wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Welcome to Cases and Controversies. Supreme Court podcast by Bloomberg Law. I'm Jordan Rubin and I'm Kimberly Robinson. Judge Barrett is almost Justice Barrett. The court keeps issuing divided orders in voting cases and the justices granted review of some new cases to hear later this term. We're going to talk about all of that and do a deep dive into a big case that'll be argued November 4th, the latest dispute pitting religious rights against LGBT rights. Kimberly, can you start us off with the latest on the Barrett confirmation?
2: Sure, so we're recording this on Thursday, October 22nd, as confirmation hearings for Amy Coney Barrett are um, happening as we speak. Uh, The Republicans on the Judiciary Committee had set a vote uh, to vote her out of committee uh, for 1 p.m., but we got news that Democrats are boycotting the vote, and so Lindsey Graham, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, said that they're just gonna go ahead and vote immediately. Uh, that sets up a floor vote with the full Senate on Monday, October twenty-sixth, and we'll have Barrett in place for not only the November sitting, but any election related applications that make their way up to the court.
1: Right, and so President Trump has said he wants Barrett on the court to help decide the election, and it seems she'll have the opportunity to do so, at least to vote on some cases. These voting cases keep coming up constantly these days. And we had a couple this week, Kimberly. Can you tell us what happened in the battleground state of Pennsylvania?
2: Sure, so this is one uh, where we can see Barrett's impact. Um, potential or potential impact being pretty dramatic. Uh, in this case, out of Pennsylvania, the court split four to four on the GOP's request to halt a three-day extension of mail-in ballots in the battleground state. Uh, We know that it was a four to four decision, um, unlike some of these other applications where we don't know the vote. Uh, We know it here because the four uh, more conservative justices on the court, Thomas, Alito, Gorsuch, and Kavanaugh, all noted their dissent. Uh, So uh, Roberts joined the liberals, creating an evenly split decision. Uh, And since it takes five justices to grant an application, that meant that the application was denied and left in place the lower court's ruling. So here we can see that uh, regardless of the way that she would vote, we don't have to make any guesses here, but she would have been the decisive vote if she was on the court. Although it's not clear that uh, Republicans need her on the court. And let's take a look at the Alabama case, Jordan, uh, for an example of that.
1: Right. So in another voting case this week, this one came out on Wednesday night on the 21st. On a 5-3 vote, the court reinstated an Alabama ban on curbside voting during the pandemic. An Alabama district court had held a trial and found that the ban imposed by the state's Republican secretary of state violates the Americans with Disabilities Act. And Kimberly, do you know why the majority agreed to reinstate the ban?
2: Well, you know, I think one of the differences between the Pennsylvania case and the Alabama case is basically the court um, who had imposed these rulings. So in the in the Alabama case, you have a federal court uh, requiring extra protective measures under the federal constitution. Uh, in the Pennsylvania case, it was a state court ruling under the state constitution. So it may have been federalism that was driving uh, Robert's vote in these cases. But because he didn't write anything, We really don't
1: know. Right. So, of course, our listeners are lucky to have this incisive commentary from you, Kimberly. But the problem is for everybody else the majority did not explain itself, as happens in these shadow docket orders that we've been talking about. The only writing that we saw was in dissent. This 5-3 split was along partisan lines. Justice Sotomayor wrote the dissent, joined by Breyer and Kagan, and the case is called Merrill against People First of Alabama. Uh, Sotomayor said that the majority's ruling essentially wrongly ignored the trial court's trial and all of the evidence that it had gathered and caused an unsafe situation, and Sotomayor closed the dissent with a quote from one of the plaintiffs in the case, Howard Porter Jr., a black man in his 70s with asthma and Parkinson's. Porter had told the district court, so many of my ancestors even died to vote, and while I don't mind dying to vote, I think we're past that time. So that's what's happening in voting cases. Um, What else do we have to talk about, the grants that the court took up this week?
2: Yeah, so we got a few new cases that the court may or may not hear uh, next year. One of those, or two of those actually, were in immigration cases dealing with controversial Trump administration policies. Um, One is the, quote, stay in Mexico requirement, which requires asylum seekers to stay in Mexico while they await decisions on their cases. And the other one is the Trump administration's use of Pentagon funds uh, to build the border wall. Uh, It's, I say these might be heard by the court because if, uh, Joe Biden wins the 2020 election, then we could see his administration, um, you know, overturn these policies pretty quickly and move the case. But we got another Grant, right, Jordan?
1: So in Lang against California, the court's going to look at the Fourth Amendment issue of hot pursuit and misdemeanors. So when it comes to felonies, if an officer is chasing a suspect in an emergency, the officer can pursue them into a home without a warrant. The question in Lang is whether, as a categorical rule, cops can do so for misdemeanors as well. And so this will be another case that's going to be argued later in the term and likely decided by late June.
2: Well, that's great. Let's focus on our deep dive case and bring on our
1: guests. Will Hahn is counsel at the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty. We're talking him today because he represents the petitioners in Fulton against City of Philadelphia, a big religion case that'll be argued on November 4th. Will, thanks for joining us on Cases and Controversies.
0: Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here.
1: So you and your colleagues at Beckett represent Sharon L. Fulton, Tony Lynn Sims Bush, and Catholic Social Services. Before you explain to us why it is that you're going to win this case at the Supreme Court, Tell us who
0: these people are and what Catholic social services is. Sure, sure. Tony Sims Bush and Sharon L. Fulton are heroes. They're heroes because they have devoted their lives to serving Philadelphia's most vulnerable children. These women have welcomed more than 45 foster kids into their homes over the years. They've taken on the tough job of helping these kids recover from severe personal trauma by loving them and taking care for them in partnership with an agency that affirms their faith which is catholic social services and the catholic church has been helping philadelphia kids find homes for over 200 years but Philadelphia's ban on Catholics placing kids with foster families is threatening to put an end to that crucial work.
2: So, tell us a little bit about how uh, this current dispute uh, came about. Uh, you know what the issue is here and why Philadelphia is no longer placing foster care children uh, with Catholic social services.
0: Sure. So, to distill this case, in Philadelphia is demanding that a religious ministry, Catholic Social Services, which is an arm. Of the Catholic Church in Philadelphia either forego its centuries-old religious foster care ministry or forego its centuries-old religious beliefs about marriage. In 2018, Philadelphia learned through a newspaper article that the Catholic Church's foster care ministry upholds Catholic beliefs about marriage. So in other words, if that ministry was ever asked by an unmarried or a same-sex couple to endorse that relationship for child placement, It would not be able to provide such an endorsement, but instead would help those couples find another agency. There are 29 others in the city, including three with expertise in serving those families that identify as LGBTQ. They could provide such an endorsement, but to Philadelphia, this simply wasn't enough. They began a campaign to exclude The Catholic Church from foster care. And this has had devastating consequences for the heroic women and and the families that we were just talking about. Those families are effectively told by the city to just find another vocation. And they have now canceled referrals of children to the agency. And this has left over 200 children in institutions rather than in loving families.
2: So can I ask you, you know, you mentioned the newspaper article that made um, the city aware of this. It actually wasn't just about Catholic social services, but also another um, Christian group. And the city was able to negotiate with that group um, kind of a, a way around this. And why is it that that doesn't undermine, you know, your claims of hostility towards religion?
0: the catholic church's religious beliefs are they have a sincere religious belief they've described it what that is at length and it it's not for the government to second guess it or tell them that they're confused or wrong this is their sincere religious belief and it is being infringed
2: one of the issues that we've seen in you know these disputes involving you know kind of the tension between religious freedom and um, LGBT rights is uh, that the court often tries to find kind of an off-ramp uh, by you know hooking itself on a factual issue and sending it back down to the court. We saw that in Masterpiece Cake Shop, and one thing that really stuck out to me about this case, if they want um, an off-ramp, is. Um, kind of what you were suggesting was that the commissioner here suggested that Catholic social services should follow, uh, you know, the views of Pope Francis rather than the archdiocese and, you know, Pope Francis actually made some news yesterday um, calling for civil unions for um, LGBT couples. So I'm wondering, is that something you think that the court um, could find, you know, poses some kind of hostility towards Catholic social services to kind of send this case back to the court again and not have to face this really tough issue?
0: Well, I think there already is a win-win outcome in this case. LGBTQ couples can foster in Philadelphia. As I mentioned, there are a whole host of agencies helping those couples today some of them have special expertise in serving lgbtq couples and th- and this dispute has is entirely hypothetical in the sense that it's not as if there was an lgbtq couple that was knocking on catholic social services door And if someone did, the church is prepared to help them find an agency that can serve their needs. Fit matters in foster care. This isn't the same thing as buying a sandwich and matching the right agency with the right family is the reason why that 29 different agencies exist in Philadelphia with different specialties. There's no one-size-fits-all solution, and it is possible to have both religious agencies in foster care and also have lgbtq couples participate in the foster care system
1: and so just because these cases do wind up getting resolved on very factual grounds sometimes like we saw in the masterpiece cake shop case i have a question about the agency's position because even though this is all hypothetical as you say right because this situation has actually not come to pass the agency's position, right, is that if they were approached by an LGBTQ couple, they wouldn't work with them, but they would refer them to another agency
0: to then help them. Is that, is that the agency's position? Right. They would refer them to one of the 29 other agencies that would be able to provide the endorsement. And I will say that Catholic Social Services serves all children regardless of race, sex, or sexual orientation. This is the question of whether the home study piece, which is a deeply personal and intimate validation and a review of someone's life, is something that the Catholic, Catholic agency can perform consistent with its religious beliefs. For that piece of it, it, there would be a referral to the one of 29 other agencies that I mentioned.
1: Right. And so, if that is the agency's if the agency's position is that it doesn't want to work with same-sex couples because the agency thinks that's a bad thing for foster care children to be with same-sex couples for religious reasons, why is its policy then to refer these couples to other agencies to then help them? Isn't that being complicit in what the agency does not want to be involved with as a policy matter?
0: No. So referrals are common in the foster care process. They've worked for decades to help match families with the best possible foster care partner and referrals can happen for all sorts of reasons. Sometimes they happen for long waiting lists or the location. Sometimes because you want to place someone with Native American ancestry in a particular family or there are language barriers or for behavioral health reasons or disability. So all, and Philadelphia acknowledges that it allows for different kinds of exemptions to be made in this process for disability, for race. It simply just wants to apply an ironclad rule when it comes to Catholic social services' religious beliefs.
2: So we've been talking a lot about facts, um, and I think for good reason, but let's talk about the law a little bit here. Um, You guys are actually asking the court to, uh, explicitly asking them to overturn uh, a case. Can you tell us a little bit about that case and why it is that you think... um, The court should do
0: away with it. So I think you're referring to employment division versus Smith. This is a landmark 1990 free exercise decision. Um, It means it generally stands for the proposition that laws that are, quote, neutral and generally applicable toward religion don't merit what's called strict scrutiny or rigorous judicial review. Uh, First of all, it should be important to note that Smith just should have never applied to this case. Smith dealt with, as it described it, an across-the-board criminal prohibition. And Philadelphia doesn't have a law, let alone a criminal prohibition, that prohibited Catholic social services, religious practice, or a neutral or generally applicable policy. What's startling, though, is that the lower courts said that Smith was not just relevant to this case, but it was dispositive. The Third Circuit said that Smith would be a dead letter if the city didn't prevail, so this case does call Smith into question. The the straightforward answer here would be to apply a standard that actually reflects the text, the history and the tradition of the free exercise clause. And in those respects Smith is inconsistent with what is there, what is in the First Amendment. The First Amendment says that no law can prohibit the free exercise of religion, but Smith in many circumstances only requires merely equal treatment between religion and anything else. Um, Smith doesn't fit with most of 20th century free exercise jurisprudence, and even people who like the result in Smith will acknowledge that. It sidelines some of the most important cases in constitutional law. And perhaps most importantly, so much of Smith turns on a series of predictions about what would happen in the future to courts and to american life if the free exercise clause allowed for religious accommodation. Smith said that such a society would court anarchy and it would if you allow for religious accommodation and it would put courts in this unwieldy position of turning every individual into a law unto himself. But those predictions have just been belied by 30 years of experience with federal law, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, the Religious Land Use and Institutionalized Persons Act, comparable state laws nationwide. They simply provide no evidence of this kind of prediction. And if anything, it's Smith that's become unadministerable. It's led to a deep circuit split, which we pointed out in this case, over what neutrality and general applicability mean. It has the counterintuitive effect of having you to look at the subjective motivations and the legislative history behind government actions, by, and, and it stands against where the court has gone in religion clause jurisprudence 19, since 1990, which has been to comport with the text, the history, and the tradition of the free exercise clause or the religion clauses, and Smith just didn't even bother with that analysis.
2: So it's interesting that you say that um, you started off by saying that you don't think that Smith even applies here um, because they think the city agrees with you, right? It's they say that. You know, it's one thing to you know tell people what to do when they're you know when they're regulating them, but it's altogether a different thing when you are carrying out a government program and getting government money for it. Uh, there, they should be able to put limits on what you can do in that program. Why isn't that the right way to think about this case?
0: Well, this is a completely untested and unknown test to the First Amendment, and you know that because Philadelphia didn't even argue it below. Uh, no court nowhere has ever adopted that rule. And it's inconsistent with the uh, the long experience we have of applying religious protections, whether it be RIFRA or Title VII or comparable state laws, including those in Philadelphia, to government employers, government contractors. And here it's a particularly odd fit because the city's contract with Catholic Social Services is crystal clear that Catholic Social Services is not a government employee. It's not its agent. And it would be very odd to import that kind of rule into this case. And the fact that Philadelphia thinks it needs more deference than Smith, uh, which to apply to this case only confirms that Smith is just not responsive to the lion's share of modern free exercise cases and we deserve a test that applies the text the history and the tradition of the free exercise clause.
1: And so well of course the stakes of this particular case are incredibly important for all of the parties involved but your organization is involved with all different sorts of litigation when it comes to religious liberty issues. And so in asking the court to undo Smith, can you talk a little bit more about what the effect of that would be, not just in this area of the law, but perhaps in other areas of the law in terms of what you're seeking to accomplish here, just not just in this case, but as an organization?
0: Well, as as we said, first of all, I you, Smith shouldn't have even applied to this case, and there's no way that this kind of Approach by Philadelphia toward excluding the Catholic Church from foster care would either be considered neutral or generally applicable. But if Smith were to be revisited and reversed and you applied a strict scrutiny standard that was informed by the text, the history and the tradition of the free exercise clause... I think what you would see is the long, laudable tradition of religious accommodation in our country continue to bear out. It's something we have a lot of experience with under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act for the past 30 years. We have a lot of experience with this under comparable state laws, and it would apply to people of all faiths. I mean, one of the, the really sad things about Smith is... Is that it explicitly said it was going to disadvantage those people and those institutions that have unpopular or unfamiliar religious practices. And that's that's been borne out. You Smith has allowed discrimination against synagogues and temples from opening up in neighborhoods. It's allowed the raid of powwows and to confiscate sacred eagle feathers from Native Americans. It's denied a liver transplant to a woman on Medicaid. It's allowed forced autopsies. So revisiting Smith, reversing Smith, and having the free exercise clause come back into line with our long tradition of religious accommodation will ensure the kind of pluralistic society that the Supreme Court has said, in Bostock, no less, that the free exercise clause is at the heart of.
2: So. You know, um, I think it's important to note that the federal government has uh, weighed in as an amici, and they're on your side. um, But they do not advocate for overturning Smith. Instead, they say that under Smith, um, that the city has shown hostility uh, toward Catholic social services, and you say that the city is excluding Catholic social services from the foster care program. But there actually are still participating, right? So they have a group home. uh, There are some referrals that are made still to catholic social services where you know the individual circumstances of the child um, would really best be fit by catholic social services so why doesn't that undercut the idea that there's been hostility here you are being able to participate but if we're talking about accommodation why is it that it's kind of an an all-or-nothing kind of uh, thing that you guys are advocating here
0: it's not all or nothing and first of all the government can't forbid one religious exercise simply with the excuse that another kind of religious exercise, real or theoretical, is available to it. Philadelphia doesn't even explain how Catholic social services could provide assistance to foster children if they must be placed with another agency, and they've not shown any evidence that that kind of suggestion would even be feasible. And the individual plaintiffs that we talked about at the beginning, Sharon L. and Tony, they said they would be devastated if Catholic social services were no longer their foster care agency. And those families, Sharon L. and Tony, others, they can't even hypothetically engage with Philadelphia's alternatives. They would need to find a new agency, as Philadelphia says. The free exercise clause doesn't authorize that.
1: So, Will, when you talk about having a religious accommodation, that's obviously something that people advocating on the religious freedom side are looking for. But on the other side of the equation, whether you're talking about a masterpiece cake shop type situation with LGBT rights, or even hearkening back to the civil rights era, where people said African Americans can just go to a different restaurant down the street, so what's the big deal? Tell us why those issues aren't Real issues that people should be worried about on the other side if you're successful in your
0: argument at the Supreme Court Well, first of all We're talking about letting an agency with a long history of serving families regardless of race Continue to serve consistent with their religious beliefs if you really want to fight racism You would protect religious communities that are dedicated to the dignity of every human being and protect women of color who serve children vulnerable children in particular moreover The city of Philadelphia has made a rather curious argument. They have said that they would be fine with Catholic Social Services attaching an express statement to every home study it fills out saying that they disapprove of someone's same-sex marriage. It's hard to imagine how that is somehow respectful of the dignity interests involved, but Catholic Social Services simply saying We cannot be a part of this process, but we're going to refer you to someone who can help you fulfill this process. It's hard to see how the city's proposed alternative is respectful of dignity, but what Catholic social services can do is not.
2: So can I just ask um, one final question? We've been talking a lot about um, this case without kind of talking about the elephant in the room um, that... uh Likely, you'll be arguing in front of a full bench with Amy Coney Barrett on the bench as well. How does that change um, the calculus in this case? Does it seem to strengthen the arguments that you're going to make in front of the court?
0: Well, I will say this. Religious freedom cases have proved to be an area of widespread agreement on the court. Beckett's had the privilege of arguing a number of cases before the court that have resulted in 9-0 and 7-2 decisions in recent terms including just last term, we're as proud of the consensus as we are of the conclusions in those cases. And so we're confident that the free exercise violations in this case will stand out across the court.
2: Well, great. Well, thank you so much for joining us and helping us to understand this case. I think um, you know, uh, this is a really interesting one in the term that's with all the dispute over Amy Tony Barrett and Justice Ginsburg passing is kind of uh, gone under the radar. But we really appreciate you helping us bring it to our listeners.
0: It was my pleasure. Thank you so much.
2: Okay. Well, that was really interesting. I do think, um, you know, we've talked a lot about the facts, and I think there are a lot of facts on, on this case that are both good and bad for Beckett, right? I mean, in their brief, the city calls Beckett um, a point of light in the foster care system. Um, uh, but of course, all of the things that we heard Will talk about also, um, you know, counters that. does suggest what the Supreme Court has found to be hostility in the past. So. Although I wonder how much this will matter now that Amy Coney Barrett is on the court, if the court is going to need to take an off-ramp.
1: Right, exactly. They definitely won't need to. I guess the question will be, will they want to? And then it raises all these questions of, is Robert's going to try and limit the decision in some way? But as Will was mentioning, these cases are not always close ones. When it comes to religion, Masterpiece, Cake Shop, that was 7-2, right? With Breyer and Kagan in the majority. And so it could just be a matter of, How the agency is going to win exactly, not necessarily whether it's going to, but we'll have to see.
2: Well, that's going to do it for today. We'll be back next week with a sneak peek of the November arguments. Until then, you can follow along with all the latest Supreme Court news at news.bloomberglaw.com. Hi, I'm Laura Carlson, and I'm dropping into your feed to tell you about
1: Prognosis, a new daily show from Bloomberg. Monday through Friday, we'll spend a few minutes with you every afternoon to help you understand life in the time of COVID-19. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. So come back every afternoon for our coverage, and stay safe.